Hey friends, welcome to Body Image with Brie. I am Brie, a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New Jersey and a body image and eating disorder recovery coach. This podcast is designed to help you make peace with your current body. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of diet culture, body image, and learning how to love the skin you're in. Hey friends, welcome to episode three of Body Image with Brie, the podcast. I thank you so much for sticking with me and giving this podcast a listen. I'm so beyond excited to introduce to you today's episode, which I have titled uh, Body Image and Recovery and Therapy. And today's special guest is Amanda White, and you may know her from Instagram at, at Therapy for Women. And she is an incredible uh, mental health counselor and yoga teacher. And her Instagram is literally just fire. Every post she puts out, I'm like, this is gold. She specializes in working with women with substance use disorders and eating disorders and specifically how they overlap. And she's actually in recovery from a substance use disorder and eating disorder as well. She owns a private practice in Philadelphia called Therapy for Women, and she also leads yoga and mental health retreats using the physical practice of yoga along with the power of group therapy to allow people to break free from the patterns that keep them stuck. Whether you are a clinician or a therapist or a dietitian, or you are just on this body image journey yourself, I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. So without further ado, let's talk to Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thanks How so much are for you? having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know we were talking a little bit um, offline. I love your Instagram. I love just everything you stand for. And I'm so excited you would take the time to be here today. Absolutely, absolutely. I love yours too. And oh, I'm thank so excited you. to talk to you. Perfect. So let's start off by talking about body image. So one of the things I want to do when I start my podcast is encourage all of my guests, if applicable, to share a difficult body image or body discomfort moment you've experienced recently. Absolutely. So I um, got married recently. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think it was like a wild experience kind of knowing what I know intellectually about health at every size, about body image and body neutrality and I've recovered from an eating disorder but it's it's crazy how you know when you're wedding dress shopping when you're mm. shopping in general you know it's so insane how no matter what you look like there is mm. still those thoughts that come up and those concerns and I think we can get so hyper focused on different pieces of our body we can totally mm. lose perspective sometimes yeah. So the wedding dress shopping was really... Yes. Wedding dress shopping was very difficult for me. Wow. Now you, you already had your wedding. I did. you're married. I am. Did those same concerns come up on your day while you're in that dress or like they were completely gone by that point? Like you were just so focused on other I was things. just so focused on how 
great the day was. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to feel yeah. that way. Okay. Um, but I think, but I think that like that is due to like you know the work that I had done before yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it's hard. I think, I think like the perspective is just such key for me is yeah. when I zoom out, <clears throat> when we think about our life. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I rely on when I'm having a bad body image day is mm. I really use the tool of zooming out, mm. zooming into <clears throat> like, what do I want my life to be about? What do I want? Um, what do I want my life to be for in a few mm -hmm. years? What do I want to remember? You know, like, do I care about remembering that I looked amazing in my dress or I didn't have this showing in my dress versus mm -hmm. do I want to remember how I felt? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a hard thing because, uh, you know, and I want you to share a little bit about your story, but I love that idea of zooming out. And I remember in a little bit more of my disordered days, it's, it's hard to zoom out when the pain is like right in your eyesight, right? It's hard, it's hard to zoom out and see the whole picture because not only do you think, oh my God, I'm seeing this, but there's this fear other people are seeing this too. And then what's the conversation that other people are having about me or thinking about me? And so that's where our attention is drawn. But I would love for you to speak a little bit to just your story of how how you ended up doing what you're doing, you're a therapist. So yep. talk a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I'm a therapist, uh, like Bree said, and um, I'm also in recovery from an eating disorder. Bulimia was really my jam that I really, really struggled with for a long time. And I also um, am in recovery from an addiction. Specifically, I struggled a lot with alcohol and I had a pretty serious Adderall addiction that was all tied in together um, for sure. Um, so it really started for me and, and I, and I just want to say this too, you know, I think that, um, in terms of what we were talking about, you know, I am, I do experience a lot of thin privilege and I think just like normal, like, I think we were talking a little bit about how you can have bad body image days, no matter what you look like mm -hmm. and how, right. Like thin privilege doesn't mean that you don't experience bad body image days, mm -hmm. but it means that you don't have to, and you can speak of course more to this yeah. free compared to me, but it means that I don't have to deal with what like you have to deal with or people in larger right. bodies have to deal with of, um, you know, like people having concerns about me being healthy. People are, it's mm -hmm. much easier, you know, intuitive eating was such an important part of my journey. Same. Um, like it changed everything for me. I was in Overeaters Anonymous That's for a while, which was really not healthy for me. I mean, I feel like the epitome of my eating disorder is, I mean, this is like ridiculous, but I was in college and I was on this mm -hmm. insane um, cleanse where I was literally making green juice in mm -hmm. my dorm room, which is like really unsanitary thinking about it now. <laughs> like literally blending green juice like in my dorm room with oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then this cleanse woman told me that like um, whiskey was like the cleanest alcohol to drink, but I couldn't drink any other types of things. So I would drink like coconut water and like whiskey and then oh, have wow. green juice. And then I would get drunk and I would binge and purge on like mm. pizza and other things and stuff like that. Right. Wow. 
So I just feel like that's kind of the epitome of my, my eating disorder. And I really believed I had a sugar addiction for a while. I really believed I had a food addiction. And when I found health at every size and intuitive eating, it, it totally changed my life. And um, I'm so grateful for Instagram now and all the work everyone's doing because I still am learning all the time. Oh, um, I mean, same. I, and that's, I always try to encourage people that like, there's no, there's no arriving, like it's yeah. a continual journey of learning. And, um, the therapist in me wants to just validate your experience and <laughs> thank you for sharing and just being so, you know, open and vulnerable. I, I, I so appreciate that. And I feel like the more we, we talk about it, the more people will be able to learn from our experiences. And so I, I wanted to go back to quickly, just the idea of a thin privilege. Yeah. I, I know that whenever the word privilege is used, people, people can get sensitive about what we mean by privilege. And, and I just want to clarify that it, you didn't do anything to earn that privilege, mm -hmm. right? It, it just existed, right? Of, you know, people wanted you to recover because of the, you know, unhealthy habits you were having, whereas somebody in a larger body in trying to recover, it's, we want you to recover from these unhealthy habits, but we also don't want you to stay in a large body. And so there's the difference. The reason that thin privilege exists is because fat oppression exists. And so like, uh, I have a post on this and I can definitely share, uh, more about it, but, uh, there was a Ted talk that was done and she talked about fat oppression that, that is that I can't go into most stores and buy clothes that I can't assure that most seating places will be able to fit me that I will be, I'm 2.5 times less likely to be promoted or get a job at work to a thin counterpart who has the same education. And so we have to speak about the oppression of those in larger bodies, but that also doesn't undo that you have this experience as well. Um, and so, right. And, and then I think the other piece of this too is, uh, I mean, so, it, it, you know, many people know my story. I, I never had an eating disorder, but I worked in eating disorder recovery and we never talked about health at every size. And I don't know how you heal from an eating disorder. If we like one of the lines we would always say, and I, I said it because other people said it, well, body image is the last piece that you work on. Yeah. And so I would just repeat that over and over again. And I would sit with these women who would be like, but I can't recover if I think my body's going to get bigger. And so it forced me to figure out, well, how do we have this conversation about our bodies and about the discomfort we're, we're feeling in a way that's going to help you to make peace with your body. And so for me, I agree, I, the intuitive eating was one of the pinnacles of changing, changing your relationship to food, eating food without the pressure of what size you're like, how, what's going to do to your body was game changer, was absolute game changer. So Absolutely. go ahead. And I think just, too, just like, right. I think that, cause I totally relate to that. I think, I think even just a few years ago and before, you know, health at every size and intuitive eating got more mainstream and things like that. I think back to, I didn't work in an eating disorder um, treatment center, but I worked in an addiction treatment center. And that wow. was really where I saw from, I mean, I knew for myself, the two things co-occurred a lot, mm. but then I was shocked to see, I worked in a long-term women's unit and I would mm. say 95% of the women there 
ended up having some type of issue with their wow. eating, whether yeah. it was before, because I think that's a thing a lot of people don't know about, right? Is like mm-hmm. they had had an eating disorder or eating, Im- like eating issues before or body image issues before, and they mm-hmm. used alcohol or drugs to deal with that. Yeah. Or if it was like in the recovery process, it started yeah. happening after. But I think like what I love about health at every size, that is also kind of my mission with you know, addiction and and alcohol and substance use recovery is we can't treat people like they're, it's those people and us. We can't, Mm. we can't get separate rules for them versus us, right? So in the current model of, right, addiction, or you look at alcohol treatment and stuff like that, it's like, these people are alcoholics and addicts and we're Mm. not, so we're fine. So we need two different ways of treating these people. Mm. Same is true for eating disorders a lot of times is, Mm. or even if you look at, right, like with what you were saying, Brie, is like someone who has an eating disorder or who, you know, is called obese or has, they're classified as having binge eating disorder, which, you know, has all kinds of issues going on. They're treated a different way than someone who presents in a thin body. Right. And it's like, we're all the same and we all need to recover. I mean, we all have different recoveries, but we need to have an overarching model that works, that is applicable for everyone. For everyone. And, and, and so for those of you, I, I, can, I can see Amanda, she used air quotes around the O yeah. word. Um, but no, and, but it's, it's a medically used term, yeah. but it's highly offensive because yeah. it's medicalizing my body size. And it, even when you look up the definite, like in, the, um, in the DSM or the diagnostic, statistical manual, which is how we, we diagnose people as therapists. Um, even, even in there, it's based off of consuming too many calories. So there's an assumption being made about body size. So this, this book that we use, which can be so helpful, right? Like just like you said, Instagram is so helpful. Instagram can also be very harmful. Yeah. So the DSM having a diagnosis can sometimes be helpful, but it's also really harmful. I've had a lot of women who feel like they are not quote unquote sick enough to be able to get help or they don't meet the criteria of the diagnosis. So they're never going to qualify for a higher level of care. And that's, that's problematic in and of itself is if, if the care isn't available or accessible to all those who need it, then the the system is, is broken. And how do we fix that? Yes. And it's, it, it creates this environment too of like, then I need to get sicker. Like yeah. I need to meet this criteria then to, to get sicker, you know, and that's what happens yeah. even when I think about addiction treatment with people cover, you know, like it's a very common thing that happens before someone goes to rehab where they have to like go get drunk mm-hmm. to meet the criteria of like have being in tox because you have to wow. meet certain criteria when you sure. get admitted for inpatient wow. and you have to have drugs in your system. So some, it's a very common practice for people to, you know, get drugs or alcohol before they go so they can meet the criteria for quote unquote detoxing. Wow. Wow. So can I, I wonder if I could ask you a couple questions about um, addiction and and eating disorders. So it sort of sounds like from your story that your addiction was driven by the eating disorder behavior that you were using. So you didn't really struggle with addiction prior to having an eating disorder. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I could say both were driven by feeling like I didn't fit in. I moved a lot growing up. I went to two different middle schools, two different elementary schools, two different high schools, and I chronically kind of felt like I didn't fit in. Sure. Um, so uh, that, you know, 
to me, alcohol was like friends in a bottle. So mm. it was like, amazing. I fit in. I'm fun. I worked through all the, you know, I definitely yeah. had social anxiety that was undiagnosed growing up. Wow. Um, but it was all right. So I think like both were kind of driven by that underlying root issue, sure. but then they really interacted. And I found Adderall as a way to, I was like, this takes rid of my binging. Like I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah. And that was, I think that's really common with people, especially like if you look at college, you know, campuses, Adderall is really abused or then you yeah. get weird things with alcohol where women especially are like starving themselves yeah. to try to make up for the alcohol calories. Yeah. They're very intertwined. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely intertwined. And, and so I kind of want to go off on a little tangent here. Um, I, I just shared for the first time on my page recently about uh, my older brother having passed away to a, a drug overdose. Yeah. And it, I, I really accredit um, finding this journey through one, my, my grief of him, but through his journey with addiction, I felt like after he died, I was like, I just don't think the way we handle addiction is helpful. Like the system wasn't set up for him to succeed that, you know, even insurance-based, like they cover you the first time you go into treatment, but then they don't cover you after that. And yet relapse is one of the most, you know, known things in addiction. And similarly to eating disorders, like there's a, there's a business to recovery that is truly unjust in the way that we handle it. And so one of the things that you spoke about earlier, um, when we were, you know, off the air, uh, we talked about shame and I, I just would love for you to speak to shame in your addiction and in your eating disorder and how, like how, how you maneuvered through that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like to, and I did an Instagram post on this, I think this week it was Monday, but, um, I really think of kind of, I mean, number one, so I'm also a trauma therapist. So I kind of specialize mm-hmm. in the intersection of these three, but I really am a therapist that believes that going through life is, is traumatic. Yes. <laughs> like all life is filled with these little micro traumas or yes. big traumas, but they all impact us. And I think, I think people sometimes get afraid of the word trauma. And I really am a believer in destigmatizing that word. Cause I think people think right now that, Oh, if I say I have trauma, number one, it means that I'm like other people you know, I'm like negating other people's trauma. We minimize our own experience because it wasn't quote unquote that bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Or there's this belief that, oh, if I have trauma, I can't recover from trauma. Mm. So people don't want to say that they have trauma sometimes, but I believe we all go through things. We all, I mean, exactly what we were talking about. It's like, when you have a, when you live in a larger body, you're going to experience these traumas on a daily basis that like, mm-hmm. I don't have to yeah. about thinking about like promotions, how people are looking at you, you know, where you can right. go, all of this type of stuff. I mean, it goes as far as overt trauma from doctors and all kinds of things like Absolutely. that. And so that to me is kind of, if we conceptualize it as if shame is the umbrella, it like kind of tries to protect us from these like traumas because trauma and shame are super intertwined and Mm. shame is, is a response that we, that we use sometimes or comes out of trauma because we feel like we're not good enough. There's something wrong with us. We should handle things differently. Um, and then I think out of that, I think the root of 
a lot of things we do, whether it's substance use, eating disorders, dieting, shopping, you know, all kinds of things that we use to try to deal with it is, is things that we use to deal with the shame. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out a little bit. So as a trauma therapist, do you, are you familiar with IFS? Yes. Internal family system. Yes. So could you speak to that a little bit? Like, are you familiar enough that you could speak to I'm it? I'm probably not familiar enough. That's okay. To it, but That's if you okay. Want to speak to it, you should. Yeah. So it's, I mean, so I think it goes very hand in hand with EMDR. Yes. Uh, which is, Oh God, I'm going to screw this up. Eye movement, desensitization, reprogram. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's so many abbreviations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so internal family systems is another way of, of approaching the, the shame and the trauma. And it's, it's I, I believe it's equated to like parts therapy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where, so there, oh gosh, I'm going to forget it now, now that I'm, I'm talking about it. But there are like these different parts. So there's um, the the, oh gosh, defenders or protectors. Yeah. And those are like, right, like firefighters yeah. that are like our, our immediate responses. Yeah. And the they are trying to protect us from the exiles, yeah. which are the, like, that's the shame, like the vulnerability, the intense pain. And then you have your managers who yeah. are highly functioning and, you know, maybe not so much as uh, impactful as the firefighters, which are like our defense mechanisms, which is your, your addictions, your mm. immediate response without thinking, because it's, it's trying to protect you from experiencing the exiles. And so part of IFS therapy is like you interview the part, like, how did you get your job? I think it's fantastic. I would love to, yeah. to do a training on it. Um, but just cause you had mentioned the shame as sort of an umbrella yeah. as a way to protect you. I just think it's such a powerful visual that, mm -hmm. right. Your eating disorder, your, your addiction was actually trying to protect you from whatever trauma your brain had experienced. Yes. Yes. And I like the, the parts work stuff too, because I think that is a really common thing that happens in addictions and eating disorders and things like that, where sometimes I use the word, it creates some like splitting between yourself yeah. where it's like, <clears throat> and that can really create like a shame cycle and a shame mm -hmm. spiral of it's like, I feel shame to try to avoid feeling shame. I um, set this unrealistic goal or I say I'm going to do all these things then I don't meet that goal then I feel like crap about myself I feel sure. more shame so then I act out and do what I was doing before to get mm. some relief wow and wow. especially I think about it in terms of addiction and eating disorder specifically is the shame then be can become it's like because then punishment can get in there too, right? And right. it's like, it becomes the escape we need and the punishment we deserve. Wow. And oh. for me, it like, when I figured that out, cause especially like with someone with bulimia, right? Like there was a very much, there was a very big self-harm piece hmm. that happened there where I felt like I was intentionally trying to harm myself. And then right. I was also trying to escape right. and it was all bound up in shame. Wow. So as a therapist, what might you recommend to somebody who's stuck in a shame storm or a shame cycle? What, what might be some, you know, tips that you might give somebody? Um, for me, compassion is like the name of the game. Like yeah. self-compassion um, is so, so crucial. And I think 
there's misconceptions about self-compassion. People sometimes think self-compassion means you're letting yourself off the hook or Mm. you're resigned or you're giving up. And for me, like the way in the door was like, okay, beating myself up does not work. Right. If I could have beat myself up into changing, I would have done it. Like, right. And it would have worked, but it didn't. Right. Right. (laughs) And it took me a really long time to realize that. But once I finally got that, I was like, I don't care whether I, because I think sometimes too, there can be like, do I deserve to change? Mm -hmm. And it was like, it didn't matter whether I deserved to change or not. It was like, I was harming myself and other people. And I knew providing myself with self-compassion Right. was more helpful than beating myself up, whether right. I deserved it or not. And I used wow. quotes for yes. people who are listening. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's a really powerful and I, I totally agree. And, and I would say self-compassion combined with self-talk, right? Like how you speak to yourself. Yeah. But I think even before that, what I usually recommend to people is um, feeling the shame. Like yeah. it sucks. Yeah. And like, I, I, I had come off of a, a really big shame storm when I was, uh, when I was uh, with my family for Thanksgiving, Yeah, something had happened and it, it triggered me to being like eight-year-old Bray again. Wow. And I, I knew that it was like, I know I'm feeling this and I don't have time to, to deal with it. And so I just like imagined like a little box and I was like, we're going to put it in the box and we're going to put it on the shelf and we're going to come back to it. Now, five years ago, I would put it in the box, put it in the shelf and then I never would have come back to it. And then like, I'm fine. It's fine. I was like, I'm not fine right now. I'm going to be fine, but I don't have, I don't have the brain space to process it. And then I'm sitting in the airport and I was like, I guess I should unpack this. And I was on Instagram scrolling. I was like, I need like a journal prompt for the shame storm. And I was like, there isn't one. I was like, I guess I'll make one. <laughs> and I just really asked myself and, and, and they tell us, they're like, you can't counsel yourself, which is so true because we have our own blind spots. Yes. But I was like, if, if I was going to have a conversation with somebody right now, who's saying the same thing to me, what, what would I ask? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I remember even just saying like, okay, like this feeling is horrible and we can validate that we can sit in that, but also knowing like the feeling is going to end. Yeah. And, and it, and that's the worst part I think for people is they fear like, okay, but if I feel this shame, like if I feel this negative feeling, I'm going to stay stuck here. And that's not true. Just like we don't feel happiness or joy or laughter. Like they all end at some point. They're fluid. Emotions always flow. And that if we can make ourselves familiar with feeling shame, eventually shame no longer controls us. Yes. I, I love that. I think learning to sit with our feelings, practicing like that distress tolerance. Yeah. So, so, so key. Um, I think that a lot of us, because, and right, like if we think about our society and our culture and almost everybody I work with and myself too, is if you think about the way that people thought about emotions, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even kind of recently, it's, we should just be happy all the time. Like happiness is your natural state, which is like the biggest myth that I like to debunk. I love it. (laughs) Because it then teaches us to avoid Mm. sitting in our feelings. And my favorite thing to tell people too, that I think makes a difference in what you were saying, Brie, of how to sit with your emotions is if you, like we get 
so anxious about feeling our emotions. So it's like, if I have an emotion start to come up and then I avoid it, I get this little temporary feeling from my brain that, that I feel a little better. And then right. our brain learns, oh, like avoidance is the good thing. Right. <laughs> avoidance will make this go away. Right. The problem is, is if we actually would have sat through it, we also would have felt better, but wow. we never learned that. Right. We and it's so, way harder. But. Right. It's way harder. But it's the it's the same as like that that um the fear response. There's fight, flight, freeze. And then I heard somebody say recently, well, the fourth response is to feel. And I was like, Oh, oh. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even realize that was an yeah. option. But, but yeah, and and I can say for myself, and I'll probably talk about this later, but um I feel like for me, grief and shame are like brother, sister emotion. They're very similar in the sense that it, it feels all encompassing, right? Where it just, and if you don't make space for it, it consumes all of the air in the room. And I remember feeling with grief of being like, if I allow myself to feel even just a little bit of this, I'm not going to be able to stop. Yeah. And, and equating it's almost like an ocean, right? It's like mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm going to, the tide's going to take me and I'm going to drown at sea. And really where it's more of what's going to happen is it's going to take you out and eventually it's going to spit you back up on shore. Like, yeah. It, and that's, and just, you have to ride out the wave I and that, sh- that shame wave, it, it can be so, it can be so, um, I don't know. I can't even think of the word, but just debilitating. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking a little bit about, you know, people whom we love in the field. And so, you know, we, we cannot have a conversation about body image. We cannot have a conversation about eating disorders or addiction if we cannot talk about shame. And one of the gurus of shame is our girl, Brene Brown, who yeah. we are, we are, well, she is going to come to know intuitive eating and health at every size yeah. is the last thing we do. <laughs> But I wonder if you could even speak to um, just a little bit about, you know, what Brene, you know, talks about in, in terms of shame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, there are different definitions of shame. Brene's definition of shame and, and guilt specifically is, right, guilt is I made a mistake and shame is I am a mistake. Mm. And why that matters is guilt provides us with, okay, I made a mistake, and it allows us the space to, okay, like, what do I need to do to make this better? Or how can I do something different next time? There's space for us to take appropriate action. Mm-hmm. Where shame, when it's like, I am a mistake, it is so, like you said, Brie, it's so debilitating. It's so overwhelming. If you think you're a bad person, if you think you're a mistake, if you think there's something wrong with you, there is no hope for change in that. There is just, this is the way I am and I'm stuck here. So why bother? It's a very debilitating, numbing emotion. Wow. That's so powerful that there, you know, there's no hope for change. And, and here's, here's the difficult part is I feel like, you know, people listening or people who are, are searching for relief with their body image, they cognitively know this, right? There's this cognition of, I understand that you know, my body isn't bad and that bodies are good and that I am not bad because of my body. Yet there's like a cognitive, there isn't this cognitive dissonance of then why aren't my beliefs different, right? Then why 
does it still make me fearful of going wedding dress shopping of what people are going to see or think or why you know why do i still have these concerns of going to family gatherings out of you know what are people going to think when they look at me do i need to bring my good bill of health to justify my body size and and i mean that's a whole other conversation in, in you know body traumas um but yeah i think that there's this this missing piece when we talk about body image of yeah it's it's going to feel really shameful and that there are these body traumas that we experience and even if it's small right like um even if uh, you know i remember growing up they used to um make us do like the physical fitness tests in front of the whole class and it it built this resentment in me to movement because i couldn't do what my peers could do and now as an adult i love movement i i love it it makes me feel so good and grounded and i move not to manipulate my body but because of the benefits i feel and if that had been taught to me at a young age rather than we're just going to do this we're going to get it done and seeing all of my my peers being able to do something that I couldn't do. And the only thing I could attribute to is it's because my body is different, not nothing else. Right. So this conversation of, of body image and shame. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I think that's such a good point too, Brie, because I think, especially with kids, it's like, they don't know the difference. I mean, like, especially with your body and being a, you know, like as an adult, we can kind of recognize that we have a body, but we're not a body, but kids don't have that yet. Kids are, you know, so the shame that you felt and shame a lot of kids feel of like, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my body. It's, I mean, that is like a core belief that develops when you're young. That's hard to work through. Right. Right. And if, if it's just part of your belief system, that it's not, it doesn't go in question. Right. And then, and then the norm is like, if I, if I were ever to tell anybody, that I felt uncomfortable in my body. It was like, okay, well, what can we do? What yeah. can we do to change it? What yeah, can we do we to move out of the discomfort? Yeah. <laughs> let's fix it rather yeah. than that's okay. It's normal to feel uncomfortable in your body. Right. right. Which I think it is. I mean, like it is yeah. like our bodies change and our bodies yeah. are always going to be changing at some point for some reason, especially as women in our life. And to get over, I think, this belief that we have to achieve one body size and stay that size and give space for, we're going to walk through all different things. Just like we give space or we're starting to give space for how we're going to feel differently. It's like, why can't we give space for we're going to feel differently in our bodies at different times? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and especially, you know, and I'll probably have to do I know, uh, an episode of this on, with kids. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I'll, uh, kids. I do work with kids right now is my it's like my day job, but it's like, I work at night. Um, it's the thing that pays the bills. <laughs> and when body image stuff comes up with kids, uh, it's so hard because their schema and their understanding is just, it's so limited. And then they're just repeating whatever their parents say. And so um, I remember I had a, a little girl tell me that, you know, some kid called her fat at school and sh she was in a larger body. And I just asked her some questions. I was like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be fat? She was like, it means you're ugly. And I was like, well, I'm fat. It, am I ugly? She was like, no. And I was like, oh. I said, okay. So just sort of reality testing. So yeah. if I'm fat and I'm not ugly, then why, why does fat mean ugly for you? 
And, and I also love to use the analogy for kids of like, it's like fruit. There's all different shapes and sizes. We don't expect an apple to be a banana. If an apple looked like a banana, we'd be like, what's wrong with this, with this, <laughs> you know, apple? Like, this is not okay. And we celebrate size diversity in all those other things, except even dogs, right? You, you heard of, um, mm-hmm. oh shoot, what is it called? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh. I do. Is oh there my a God. name for it? Yeah, like puppy. Oh gosh. Oh man. <laughs> I, see, I can picture the- uh, poodle, poodle science. Yes, there you go. <laughs> picture the graphic in my head. Oh, it's great. You guys should Google it. And it's all about how different dogs are different sizes. And we don't expect a chihuahua to be a pit bull. And we don't expect, you know, a, a you know, I don't, I don't know the names of dogs. The St. Bernard to be a yeah. uh, Shih Tzu. Like, yeah. Dogs come in different sizes. People come in different sizes. And so being able, but being able to maneuver through that shame is really that trauma piece. And I don't know if this is controversial to say at this point, but I am far more likely to refer my coaching clients to a trauma therapist than I am even to an eating disorder therapist because we're not all trained in, in trauma. We are all trauma informed, right. but we are not trauma trained. Right. And I think that having that trauma training, especially when it comes to eating disorders, is, is monumental. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I wanted to circle back to one other thing you said, Bree, too. I loved how you were talking about how we can also get shame for what we think. And I think that's a very hidden thing with beliefs, with thoughts. That was something that I see a lot is we can think we're a bad person because we have negative thoughts sometimes. Right. And that is such a thing that can give people so much space in re- like when they can really recognize that they're not their thoughts, that thoughts... Yeah aren't something they have like, you know, we're going to have different thoughts depending on different things going on in our life and giving ourselves compassion rather than beating ourselves up for having a negative thought or thinking something. It's so, it's so good. That's, I mean, it's so true. And, and I think that that's actually, I think I'm sure you've experienced this, that the most common experience is one, I feel bad that I feel this. And then two, I feel bad that I think this. So I feel this. I'm a bad person. I feel bad that I'm having a bad body image today, but I also feel bad that I'm thinking that I'm having a bad image today because I know that I don't want my body to matter. Mm-hmm. And my, my biggest advice is like, can it just matter for right now? Like, is, can that just be okay? And can it be okay that it's not okay? Yeah. Because yeah, like the moment, the moment's going to pass. The, the, the discomfort is going to pass, but it doesn't make you a bad feel. And that's why I'm trying to normalize bad body image days, body discomfort, because there, it's normal. It is normal. Just like in any relationship, you know, we were talking before and, uh, um, a friend of mine, uh, Anna Sweeney, dietitian, Anna on Instagram, we were talking recently and she said, the longest relationship you'll ever have is the one with your body. And it, it would be like expecting you and your husband to be like honeymoon all of the time. That'd be great, but probably not very realistic. I love that analogy. Right? (laughs) And this is any, like, it doesn't even have to be romantic. Like, even friends. Like, I don't, like, I love my friends all the time. Sometimes I want to hurt them. And sometimes I want some space. Um, But it doesn't mean that I love them any less. It doesn't mean that the love is is not genuine. Yeah. They're having a hard time. And I think that's where, like, tapping into your values can be so powerful. It's like values-based action, 
get like, I, I recommend everyone like Google a list of values and come up with some of your values. And then it's like, okay, beliefs come, thoughts come, feelings come, things come. But then it's like, you can look back at your values and take action based on your values. And that's, that's what matters. Nice. Yeah. And I, and I always try to reality test too of like, so, and a completely unrelated example Um, I used to get really anxious when I would be late Mm. and I always thought it was just a value of I value being on time. And while that is the underlying value, the underlying core belief is if I'm not on time, I'm going to fail and I don't Mm want to fail. And so we have to sort of tease out what's the value and what's the motivator. Because if I'm late and my, my value is that I want to be late. If I'm late, I made a mistake, but I'm not bad. But if I'm feeling shame for being late, I'm, I am bad. I'm saying that I'm bad because I'm late. And so that's how you sort of do that process work of find the value, but tease out what are some maladaptive messages that you received along the way that aren't true, that you just believe. And sometimes when you say it out loud, you're like, God, I don't even believe that. (laughs) But it's sort of that uprooting of just bringing that thought, that thought to the surface. Totally. I think that's so good. And I think to go off your example too, it's like one thing that I've been working on recently and I've been learning for myself is it's like, we're going to have to make the choice. Like we're never going to, like you said, we're never going to arrive. We're never just going to be someone who just is perfect or is, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right word is someone who is always on time. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's impossible. It's our values, but it's a commitment you're going to have to make every day for the rest of your life it's <laughs> that you'll never get to. Perfection is <laughs> Until not. you die. And then right. maybe you can look at all of your things and be like, she was more on time or she was less on time. <laughs> it will always, it will be a right. renewable thing. So wow. I think we can get caught up in, right? Like you said, like I was late. I'm, you know, I'm not making my value that I want to be on time. I'm a bad person this, and get stuck in a shame cycle, which makes it harder to then, you know, be on time, of course, is the irony of all of this. Yeah. Rather than being like, okay, well, what is the next thing to do? How can I be on time next time? How can oh I, you know, it's always going to be a renewal of the commitment over and over and over I again. I love that. It's, it's utilizing it as a learning experience rather than a shame bashing. So you're like, of, you're the worst person. Like, I can't believe you were late. Of, okay, so if I want to be on time next time, here's what I need to do. Yep. And the same goes in relationships, right? When there is rupture, which is going to happen, it's about the repair. And if you can figure out the repair, you can prevent the rupture from happening again in the future in the same way. Right. And so it's, and, and that's, this is why, you know, intuitive eating of taking a curious approach an intuitive approach of how did this make me feel? Oh, you know what, when I don't do this, then this happens later in the day, or, you know, like it's, it's less about control and it's more about observation. Right. And what if we could take that approach to, like you said, like everything, everything. in life? It would be amazing. I know. I'm like, man, <laughs> I wish I knew this stuff. Like, <laughs> I wanted to redo in college. I was like, oh yeah. man, like for sure. And and so one of the things I want to talk about before um, we start wrapping up is one of my favorite quotes by Brene Brown is, right, what do we do with shame? It, it's mm-hmm. self-compassion, right? So she has this quote that says, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to survive. 
silence, secrecy, and judgment. But if you put that same shame in a Petri dish with empathy, it can't survive, right? And so if you think about that, right? So if you have this shame storm and you judge yourself for it, you don't share it with anybody, you keep it silent and you keep it a secret, it, it, it's like it giving it the perfect breeding ground to grow. Yeah. But when you bring it into the light and you say, yeah, yeah, I had a, I had a really bad shame storm. It, sharing it almost dissipates a lot of shame's power. Mm-hmm. And so oh, that's yeah. why. And that's the power we do have, right? It's like yeah. we don't have power necessarily over the shame we already have or the shame we might encounter. But right, like that's kind of the shame resilience that Brene also talks about is we have power over how we interact and deal with our shame. Mm. And we can't avoid, we can't avoid shame. We no. can't avoid it. So we may as well strap in and <laughs> get <laughs> greet, dealing with it. <laughs> greet it like an old friend. And, yeah. and again, that, that concept of make space for it. Mm-hmm. I found for me, deep uh, personalizing shame. So I made it a him. Mm. So when he mm. comes, yeah. I know I'm like, oh, hey, you're here. Right. What is it? What is it you're trying to teach me? What is it? What message do I need to lean into? What what defense mechanisms might be coming up? What firefighters might be arising that I'm trying to protect myself from? And also reminding myself that I'm not in danger, right? Yeah. That it might feel like I'm in danger. Right? Like, so I'm sure you've read The Body Keeps the Score. Fantastic book. I highly recommend. I know there were some questions about the author, but the book is still very good. And it it talks about how our body holds on to that. So even if you're not aware of the trauma that you experienced, your body does. Your body has remembered that. And so in this whole experience with me, you know, making peace with my body, that's how I actually became aware of my my issues with movement Mm. was because... I was like, oh, I remember, I remember, like, I remember, I think I remember what I was wearing. I remember, like, I remember that same class. They would all stand online and they put the, like, scale in the, in the nurses or in the gyms. The nurse was in there, but it was like the gym teacher's room. Mm-hmm. And everybody's online, well, what did you weigh? What did you weigh? And I remember already at like eight years old feeling like, I don't want to share that number. Like, I'm already embarrassed. Um, and that that trauma, my body has held on to that for years. Absolutely. And so in order to work through that, I I had to be able to sit in it. So I'm just remembering we can do hard things. Yeah. And I think too, just as one last point for you too, in terms of trauma and stuff like that, even if you don't remember, like I think giving Mm. space for our brains are really complex. We are just Mm. starting to understand how our brains work, how our brains hold trauma. Um, And there's pieces, there's a lot of evidence that our brains might not even like, we might not be able to remember everything, but our body does. So even if you don't have a memory that comes up with something, giving space to your body to feel any way that it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without judgment. Yeah. Right. And, and if there's judgment, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you feeling this way? Okay. We're feeling this way. It doesn't feel great. You're annoyed that you're annoyed. Like, okay. Yeah. How do we move through it? Ugh. I mean, I could talk to you all day long. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what, tell us what, I mean, uh, so for people who are listening, this is being recorded in 
the winter slash spring of 2020. So tell us what offerings that you currently have and where people can find you. Yeah. So probably the first place people can find me, my handle is therapy for women on Instagram. So good, guys. I also have a private practice called therapy for women, um, that you can reach us at therapyforwomencenter.com. We're in Philadelphia and we also have like video counseling all over PA. Amazing. Um, yeah. And we do different wellness events that incorporate yoga and body stuff and all kinds of things like that. Amazing. No, if, if people are not following you, they, they absolutely should. I learn so much content and, and I, I've always loved you just kind of put things in ways that I'm like, yes, that was perfect. That was like, are you in my brain? <laughs> it's probably like a therapist thing. I'm like, she gets yes. me. Yes. <laughs> I feel <Really>. seen. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for taking your time to speak with us. And you are just a champion among women. And um, I'm just so grateful for the knowledge that you've shared here today. Thank you so much, Brie. This was so fun. This was so fun. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode of Body Image with Brie. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a comment below or share this link with somebody you care about. If you are interested in learning more about how you can work with me, you can email me at bodyimagewithbrie at gmail.com. And for more podcast episodes in which I've been a guest on, you'll find that in the link tree in my Instagram. Thanks again for being here and until next time.